0: Filling a gap by providing you with a virtual or on-site HR resource, or providing advice via our HR support line, we'll help you resolve whatever human resources challenge your business is facing. Okay, let's get started.
1: Hello and welcome to another episode of the HR Room podcast. The demand for investigations in the workplace is constantly growing. Misconduct is taking place in workplaces, leaving HR teams and organizations with the task of tackling a workplace investigation. But given the time, complexity and seriousness of the issues, this is a big challenge for all involved. So how do you do it? What should you look out for? And where should you go for help? So, To hopefully answer these questions and many more, we're delighted to be joined again by Liam Barton, Senior HR Consultant here at InsideHR. How are you, Liam? Great, Owen. Thank you. Brilliant stuff. And as always, we're joined by our very own Mary Cullen, Founder and Managing Director here at InsideHR. How are you, Mary?
2: I'm great. Thanks, Owen. And looking forward to this discussion. Um, I was the probably the first person at Insight HR to do workplace investigation. And we're very proud now uh, that we have a team in place to do it. Um, but it's something we've learned an awful lot about over many, many years of, of doing them.
1: Definitely, and both of you are no strangers to it, so I'm delighted to get both of you on to talk about it today, as we have done in the past. But again, with I think some small key variations every time, so delighted to, to chat about it again. Um. So look, let's jump right in. So I suppose, Liam, for a bit of context and a little bit of one of those open-ended starting questions that I do love to do. Um, workplace investigations, Liam. I suppose, why do they happen? What's the purpose?
3: Um. Thanks, Owen. Well, I, firstly, I never cease to be amazed, Owen, with the what I suppose. One, what goes on in the workplace and the requirements for workplace investigations and the variation. And I suppose one thing that Mary and I have, have learned uh, through the years is no workplace investigation is ever the same. You're always dealing with, I suppose, complex issues, um, but different issues within different organizations. So, workplace investigations can come from a range of different um, sources um, and reasons. Sometimes it can be that an employer has uh, a view or a concern that an employee may be dishonest, maybe stealing from the organization. Um, sometimes they may, an employer may have a, a concern that an, an employee is assisting a competitor, maybe you know, sending sensitive commercial information to a competitor's email, or maybe planning to take up in competition with that particular organization. Um, so that can be one origin of workplace investigation very often. Um, They fall under, I suppose, the broad category of dignity at work, so it can be in relation to suspected bullying, suspected sexual harassment, um, suspected harassment at work. Sometimes an employee can raise a grievance, and that could be around pay conditions, access to training, um, any range of issues. Sometimes it can be a disciplinary issue, could be non-compliance with procedures, non-compliance with a health and safety procedure. Um, we we are currently starting a workplace investigation right now in relation to um, physical aggression at work. Um, sometimes on and increasingly, we're conducting workplace investigations where a member of the public has contacted an employer and said they're concerned regarding the behaviour or conduct of a particular employee. And that could be in relation to an interaction of the phone, it could be an interaction over um, email, um, it could be something that the employee has said or done outside of the workplace, um, which the, the customer deems to be inappropriate or not in line with the ethos or culture of a particular organization. And increasingly that organization or employer would be expected to take the matter very seriously and conduct some form of investigation into the allegation or concern. Um, It can be where there's a particular legal requirement or a specific qualification to work in a particular industry or someone might need a particular qualification to work in an industry or particular professional qualifications to carry out a particular function. Um, Sometimes it's to do with whistleblowing. Um, It could be to do with GDPR. So really there's a huge variation at the minute, on in relation to, I suppose, where investigations come from and where organisations are, I suppose, duty-bound to conduct an investigation.
1: Definitely, and any of our, I suppose, more keen-eared listeners will know that we're obviously, we've been speaking about Dignity at Work the past number of weeks, so I suppose we naturally did flow into this conversation, but it's great to hear all those various reasons as well, Liam, because, as you said, there's a lot to it, a lot of reasons that can come up, and we've seen a lot of uh, different things happen, I suppose. Um, so I suppose, Mary, with a lot of things, and I know workplace investigations are probably one of our biggest examples of this, Mary, um, a good start is kind of half the work, isn't it? So I suppose, what are, the, some, what are some of the kind of aspects, challenges, things to look out for that people should, I suppose, consider prior to conducting an investigation? I think time is probably the most obvious one, Mary, because these things do take time. But is there any other considerations you would put out there before people kind of jump into these things?
2: It's a very good question, Owen, because, you know, how you start with the workplace investigation is key, um, is key to it standing up to scrutiny um, at the end of an investigation if you find yourself in a third party forum. So, you know, like many things in life, um, if you don't uh, plan and prepare adequately, then you might find yourself coming a cropper at a later stage or or indeed in the investigation itself. Um, so, you know, as a starting point, Leem has painted a picture of the vast array of workplace issues that might arise. And in those, in that array of workplace issues, you know, there are differences in how you go about conducting the investigation. So there are differences when it comes to dignity at work investigation versus a misconduct investigation um, uh, versus a grievance. So you have to be, uh, be very careful about what approach you're taking right at the outset. So what policy, number one, are you using? Are you using your discipline policy? Are you using your uh, grievance policy? Are you using your dignity at work policy? So, you know, you really need to establish first off what you're using now one of the problems i often see is that uh, a policy is out of date for instance uh, this is particularly the case when it comes to um dignity work policies that haven't been updated with code of practice for uh, for, uh bullying and in those circumstances you've got to decide whether you're going to use your old policy uh, whether you're going to look at using the new code of practice um, and what else you're investigating under. So it's important, first off, what policy are we going to use? The second thing you want to be thinking about are the terms of reference for the investigation. So the terms of reference outline uh, the scope, the timeline, the duration, um, what the investigator is or isn't allowed to do representation during the investigation process, how the report will be handled, whether or not the parties are going to see a draft report before it's issued to the company or or whether it's going to be provided in draft format before if it's an internal investigation before being issued to the um manager who's handling. Um, the particular process. And, you know, that's key. That document is key. Should be circulated to the relevant parties for their um, view and comments on it. Um, And then finally, once it's agreed, sent out to whoever it affects within the workplace investigation. Um, And then really it's about making a plan. You know, What statements do you have? Uh, What evidence do you already have? What documentation do you need? Who do you need to speak to? How are you going to record those conversations Um, and all of that? So it's actually quite a complex process um, and lots and lots and lots of things can and do go wrong within them. Now, you know, arguably at Insight HR, you know, we're getting the really complex investigations. We're not getting the standard day-to-day or not often getting the standard day-to-day because those can usually and typically get handled in-house. But, you know, the ones that we deal with certainly can be quite difficult, uh, quite complex, um, and anything can happen within them. So, you know, it's important that the people who are doing the investigation are trained, that they know what they're doing, that they understand it. So whether that's in-house or externally, that you have people who understand employment law, who understand how to conduct an investigation, who understand how to be neutral and impartial and objective, Um, and who understand how to go about collecting um, and gathering information, analyzing that information, and finally, uh, the report, how you're going to go about writing the report. So if you don't plan it right at the start in terms of how it's all going to look, it can go very wrong. So take the time, take the advice, listen, um, don't just jump in two feet, because um, it can it can go wrong, it does go wrong, um, and it's important that you take your time, know what you're doing, uh, and prepare.
1: Definitely, and there's a couple of questions there, a couple of aspects we'll actually dive into with a couple more questions as we go through this, and we actually have a, a sneak peek to next week's podcast It's actually fully on that reviewing reporting stage, so if that does perk your ears, make sure to listen in next week as well, a little exclusive there for you. Um, so I suppose Liam kind of building on that previous point Mary made, again, look, Liam, my daughter might be slight variations in a workplace investigation process but I think that pre-planning stage really Liam, it kind of can't be understated the importance of that to really get you off on the right
3: foot. It, it's so important Owen and I, I do think it's an area where organisations fall down on and I think Mary makes a, a very relevant point in, in terms of you know assigning somebody to conduct the workplace investigation and you know what's the background um who has the the wherewithal, or the skills, or the qualifications, or the expertise, or or the experience to conduct a workplace investigation, because for for all the reasons that, that Mary has outlined, it's complex, not straightforward. And experience is a vital component in terms of being a solid workplace investigator, and so I think pre-planning is very, very important. Looking, particularly if you're within a smaller organisation, is there a conflict of interest? So, do people, do, does the person who was, you know, earmarked or, or, or selected to conduct the the workplace investigation, is he or she on social terms with the person or the employee who may be subject to the investigation? And is there a potential conflict of interest? And, you know, there is a requirement and you know, all the codes of practice would highlight the importance of impartiality and independence and that the investigation is seen to be fair and impartial and independent. And very often when we see you know, investigations conducted um, within organizations, very often there's a, a blurring of the lines and you know, there's a lack of, you know, I suppose, objectivity in terms of how the process is to run, who is responsible for what. So I I really do think what resources are available, what are the qualifications of the individual investigator, have they conducted workplace investigations before? Um, Is there going to be objectivity, impartiality? um, Is there a separation between the investigatory uh, process and any likely um, disciplinary Process if if that arises, um, and very often these are things that aren't necessarily considered um, at the point of of an organisation deciding to conduct a workplace investigation. In other words, an organisation has come across an issue, or a complaint has come in, and very often there's a rush. Golly gosh, we better do something about that. And you know, you do need calm heads at that point to say, well, okay. Perhaps this is something that we don't necessarily have the wherewithal or the qualifications or the experience in-house. It might be worthwhile for us engaging, you know, an external, independent, impartial um, entity like Insight HR um, to conduct the workplace investigation. And I, I, I do think, while there's, I suppose, a cost, um, one of the other costs that people need to consider is resources and time and does an already beleaguered HR department have the resources and capability and time um, to conduct a workplace investigation if, if that's the, the envisaged person to conduct it so I, I, I think having a pre-planning um, structure or process where you look at what's involved where you look at potentially the resources that are available to conduct the investigation the qualifications the expertise it's so important Dawn, and I think Sometimes organisations don't give that enough consideration, and also in terms of the possible outcome of a separation between the investigatory, potentially a disciplinary, and potentially an appeals process, who is going to conduct all of the various different aspects, and is there a clear separation between the parties? Definitely.
1: Definitely, and it's, it's so important to, to cover that as well, Liam, so I'm delighted we got to dig a little bit deeper into that with both of you. Um, I suppose, Mary, one of the things you mentioned earlier, terms of reference. Uh, and I know from obviously chatting about these before terms of reference is, as you said, a very important part of it. Um, can you talk to us a little bit more about that, Mary? I suppose is it kind of the glue that holds this whole thing together, the terms of reference, once they're clear and followed?
2: Absolutely, Own The terms of reference are are basically going to be, uh, you know, a guide to the investigator, whoever that's. Person is, uh, or investigator, or depending on the the size and complexity of the matter, um, but that terms of reference is typically drawn up by the HR department themselves, or or maybe by uh, the legal team uh, or a legal advisor on behalf of of the company and uh, issued to the workplace investigator, um, and that serves as the guide for how the investigation is to be done. So it, it starts with telling you exactly what it is you're going to investigate. And, you know, one of the problems I see with terms of references, uh, particularly if I if somebody has appealed the findings of an investigation and, and it automatically then needs to come outside of an organisation. Um, you know, I sometimes look at, at what... Um, the terms of reference in the original investigation says is going to happen and they don't even outline what the allegations are in the first place. So it's key that the allegations are clearly outlined in the terms of reference. It's uh, important then in terms of the who, who is the investigator and what is the role of the investigator in the matter? How are, How is the information going to be gathered? So if you plan to... Uh, record an investigation using dictaphone or or microsoft teams or zoom that needs to be spelled out in the terms of reference Uh, or if you're planning to have a note taker at every meeting that needs to be spelled out in the terms of reference you also need to cover things around um you know the time frame you're going to give for people to comment on documentation or to uh, comment on on the draft report um you that would be in the terms of reference you would uh, um i suppose need to make clear that the investigator what the investigator's role is around um facts versus decisions. Um, and again, this is a, a common problem that we see where an investigator goes beyond the scope of the terms of reference in terms of their their findings or fails to do what they're meant to do and has gone off down a whole load of rabbit holes uh, in the wrong direction. And it's, it's very understandable um, when you see that happen because you know human beings by their nature when they're interviewed talk and they don't talk in boxes and they don't talk in the questions that you prepared in advance They talk because they're emotional. They talk because they might be accused. They talk because um, they might feel vulnerable or they're the victim, maybe of bullying, harassment, sexual harassment in their own mind. Um, You know, and you often have people talk with great emotion during an investigation, whether that's crying or anger or you know, despair, you can have all of that uh, and therefore it can be hard to contain what the human being tells you and says. But you as the investigator have a duty and an obligation only to operate within the scope of the terms of reference, irrespective of what you what you are hearing. Um, so it's a really, really vitally important document that really needs to be thought through and considered very, very carefully before you start. It's the starting point, but you will use it as an investigator all the way through the investigation. Um, And, you know, often you get challenged by uh, people within an investigation process about the terms of reference and you fall back on and rely on that document in terms of what you're entitled to do as an investigator.
1: It's tricky. Mm, Definitely, and so important and not one to be... I want to be missed or not done correctly. Um, Liam, building on that kind of role of the investigator piece there, again, I, I think, build on what Mary has said there, it, there needs to be a bit of clarity with the role, doesn't it? It's far from a judge, jury, executioner, all-encompassing role being an investigator, Liam, isn't it? Uh,
3: absolutely, and I'd, I'd very much echo uh, what Mary has said, on, and I, I think that's a very, very important point because one of the things that the investigator, him or herself, have to understand is what their role extends to, and what their role is, and it's even more important, I think, to, to establish what their role is not. And I certainly have had, and I'm sure Mary's had, instances own where you know you've conducted an investigation, um, and there's going to be people unhappy. Um, there's going to be perhaps somebody who who said that you know they were being bullied at work and maybe the findings don't go in their favor. So it's always important that you can look in an empathetic, but a very measured, balanced, independent manner at all of the facts. And I suppose the the witness testimony, the interviews, but also the documentation, the CCTV materials, uh, various statements, that you look at all the evidence and the policies and procedures and come to um, a reasonable and fair um, and balanced report in relation to what has or has not occurred. And that takes empathy, it takes time, um, it takes knowledge, it takes experience. And I think it's so, so important that you don't rush. And this is where... I would say, in my experience, investigators come under pressure. You know, I want the report. Um, You know, I I want to move on with the process. Um, Well, it's very, very important that you take time and as as the investigator, it is your name at the end of the document, the final um, investigation report. And you may be required to appear before the Workplace Relations Commission or before a third party forum. Um, whether it's in the Labour Court or, or other uh, fora, to stand over what you said and to be strong enough in your convictions that whatever you put in the final investigation report was a true and accurate picture regarding what evidence was put before you. Um, so I think it's 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 not an easy job, Owen. And I, I do think sometimes within an organisation there's almost... Um, I won't say a flippant attitude towards the investigator or investigation process, but a lack of understanding regarding the real complexities and challenges around investigating all the matters we've discussed, whether that's, you know suspected dignity at work issues, suspected theft, um, you know, downloading of illicit materials, I.T. Um, procedures, so on and so forth. And you have to very calmly and carefully navigate your way through all the evidence, and and avoid um, the red herrings that sometimes will be put in your way. And so it does take time. So I, I really would, um, I suppose, encourage people when they're selecting investigators to conduct an investigation to really sort of ensure that the investigator has the appropriate level of experience, qualifications, and skills, and has experience of conducting complex investigations. And if you have an organisation who's going out to an organisation like ourselves that they very much verify the quality of the investigator and the investigation service because they don't want to be in a a situation where they end up with a costly and expensive flawed process.
1: Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Um, And I think, Mary, potentially tricky one to answer here, but I think based on everything that Lima said there, Mary, I suppose the question I have is who is typically assigned to be the investigator then and why? Or is it does it vary? What do you think?
2: I think it varies hugely d- depending on who's, I suppose, commissioning the investigation. So, you know, you will see with the larger organisations that they train uh, managers internally with investigation skills, with the view that they will keep as much as possible The investigation processes internally, and you know, that can work successfully depending on who's selected to be an investigator and who you train to be an investigator. So, that's one set of circumstances. Then, I always shout out to the poor, beleaguered, lone uh, HR practitioner working in an organization where they may not have resources available to them. And sometimes you'll find those people taking on investigations as a needs must approach to it. Um, and Often you will have external people, maybe with smaller SMEs like accountants and people outside of the organization, maybe that a, a owner-manager trusts, being asked to do an investigation um, and then obviously you have your independent companies like ourselves who specialise in this area and are asked to come in and do investigations. So it varies very, very widely. Now, I always would, um, I suppose, urge caution when it comes to you know anyone outside of a trained practitioner in workplace investigations, whether that's internal or external. My view would be the complexity of even what appears to be simple matters can actually escalate and go beyond the control of an organization. So if you're asking your managers to carry out workplace investigations, you have to be pretty certain that you put in place robust training for those managers and ongoing supports and, you know, somewhere where they can go to ask technical questions that arise during the workplace investigation. So let's say you might have an approach internally to tier one, these kind of basic issues that come up and we're going to have our managers investigate them as part of their normal day to day work. Uh, the more complex things we might um, handle in HR ourselves. And if things are really tricky or involve maybe really senior managers or, or really complex issues that we don't think we can handle internally, we'll outsource it. If you're outsourcing, you really do need to know that the people you're outsourcing to know how to Um, do this. Adrian Toomey and I talked with you, on, and I can't remember the case off the top of my head uh, just now um, about a, a company who used an accountant to carry out an investigation. And during the WRC hearing, that accountant actually left the hearing saying he was too busy They didn't have time for the WRC hearing and left, uh, leaving the organisation in a more difficult position than they were in the first place. Uh, You need to know that any investigator appointed may need to go on a stand um, in the WRC or in another third-party forum and actually stand over what they have written in a report. And you need to know that those people are resilient enough to withstand cross-examination and the rigours um, that go with that whole process. So it's not as simple as uh, OWN when you carry out a workplace investigation and Owen saying to me, OK, Mary, no problem, but Owen has no training in this area. Uh, And when it comes to the WRC hearing, how comfortable is Owen going to be standing up and being cross-examined and how experienced is he going to be? in that area. So I, I think choosing your investigator carefully is really key. If you if you want to um, handle these things internally, my view is you must train the people who are going to handle them. If you're in HR yourself and you handle investigations, well, my view is you must be trained properly to um, carry out a workplace investigation yourself. Being in HR alone, is not a qualification for carrying out a workplace investigation. You really would need to look at training beyond that.
1: Definitely, and I suppose perfect segue to my final question. I'll come to, to both the, both of you on, but I'll come to yourself, Liam, first. I suppose building on that, if there is a skills, knowledge, resourcing gap uh, in an organization, and did you have to conduct an investigation? I suppose where do we go? What do we do? A lot of it is that kind of training and looking for support. But generally, I think, Liam, to kind of add to what Mary said there, so what's the kind of steps you'd say if there is a if there is a gap there and you do need to fill it you do need to conduct something?
3: Yeah, I I, um, I think it's an incredibly important point Owen. I think the first thing is to acknowledge that there is a gap um, because I think, like Mary said, there's an assumption. Uh, ah, you work in HR. Ah, you work in training. Ah, you work in Department X. Of course, you'll be able to investigate what has gone on in Department Y, and it isn't as straightforward as that. And, you know, it isn't um, without its complexities. And certainly from the investigator point of view, you need to be empathetic. You need to be, I would agree wholeheartedly with Mary, you need to be resilient because you will meet people at their worst. So if somebody, somebody's job is on the line, if somebody's mortgage is on the line, if somebody's ability to um, look after their family and provide, um, they will be fraught and they'll be on edge. And so you're dealing with very, very serious, difficult issues where, where employees are, are concerned. Um, so there's, I suppose, soft skills in terms of you know, empathy, uh, you know, a positive mentality, resilience being able to deal with objections because you will have very very serious objections put your way if you're the investigator your process will be called flawed and your integrity and character will be questioned um, by those who are trying to influence ultimately the outcome of the investigation um and why wouldn't they if they if they perceive their job or their career is is on the line so i suppose there's there's the skills element in terms of the soft skills, which I mentioned, and then there's technical knowledge in terms of how to deal with complexities like GDPR, what parts of complaints have to be redacted, uh, who gets to see what evidence, um, how to prepare the report, um, how to limit yourself in terms of the, the terms of reference and what you're required to find and what you're not required to find, and, and, and how the scope of, your, um, of the, the terms of reference which you've been provided with, um, how that limits you, and that you don't go beyond uh, the terms of reference that you've been provided with, and that you simply stick to the matters which you're required to investigate. Um, so these are not straightforward um, matters, which can, in my view, be... Um, addressed in a day or two uh, they take time um, you become a better report writer as you go through investigations you become a better investigator as you branch out into different uh, types of investigations um, so there's no, there's no shortcut, there's no easy fix I think humanity um, is very very important in terms of having a humane approach, and also from organizations, that they understand this is going to take time and resources. So it's no different to investing money in different parts of the, the business. Sometimes I find, well, you know, why would we invest in a workplace investigation? And I, I find the, the, the sort of narrative quite strange. You know, you have a really, really serious issue. You require an investigation to come to findings of facts so that as an organization you can be confident that you took a fair, balanced and appropriate um, reaction to what was being investigated. So I think it's it's a really, really interesting area. I think I find it personally, and uh, Mary probably agreed with me, I find it a fascinating area on, to be honest with you, because it throws it up so many different challenges. But I think it's an area that organizations and investigators have to be very careful on because there's nothing worse than picking up a copy of the Irish Times and reading about an investigator who, you know, was criticised in the Workplace Relations Commission because they went beyond the, the, the terms of reference of the investigation they were provided with. Um, and I, I just think that brings probably, in a future sense, the, the credibility of the investigator and the organisation into question, which is never a good thing.
1: And I suppose similar question for yourself, Mary, when it comes to that, where do we go? What do we do? I mean, we make it no secret, Mary, that we do obviously full scale workplace investigations. We have the dignity of work investigations training, even proactively, then we have contracts, handbooks, all that kind of stuff. So the support is there, Mary, for people who need it, isn't it?
2: It is it? It it isn't, mm-hmm. Um, You know, and I've learned that the hard way over many years, because certainly when we first started, doing workplace investigations, it was probably because it, it became an interest of mine um, that I thought to myself, I'd like to learn how to do one of these investigations um, and, and see how it goes. Uh, so like a, a, a responsible practitioner, I never do anything unless I um, backed up with the training and the knowledge and the know-how. And I looked out there to see who was doing what. And there was no one, very few providers of any kind of credible training. Um, and, you know, I did the training that was on offer and, and it it didn't provide me with the resources I needed to actually conduct an investigation. And so I've learned um, the hard way over years of um, doing investigations, over talking to employment lawyers and and trying to understand uh, how to go about it and how to be effective at it, picking various professionals' brains over you know, 20 years around this, and, and really the resources not being available, the how-do-you-do-it piece missing. Um, we have developed uh, uh, a, a very robust process here at Insight HR um, over a number of years and our team are fantastic you know and as you know we have Marion Galvin who heads up the workplace investigations team and Marion's a a former Garda and so when it comes to questioning techniques and resilience and the ability to um, gather information you know Second to none. She's excellent at it. She's many, many years of experience doing that. Um, We have uh, Rebecca, who's, uh, you know, uh, came from uh, workplace investigations in Australia. And actually, Australia do workplace investigations incredibly well. I've often looked there for resources when I can't find them in Europe. Um, and they're far more advanced than than Ireland and Europe are in terms of this whole area and how you approach it. Uh, But obviously, be careful. You can't go over there too. You have to know the Irish law um, versus Australian law. But I just think the, the range of materials they have are excellent. And Rebecca has bought that breadth and depth of experience from across jurisdictions, but also her legal background as a, as a barrister and beautiful writing skills. And, you know, when I look at what the ingredients are for being a good workplace investigator, I know you asked Liam that question earlier, and I'm not going to repeat all that Liam said, but to me, the fundamentals are, you know, being fair, and impartial and not allowing your own personal feelings interfere with how you're A, gathering the investigation, B, analysing the information that you've gathered during the investigation process. and um, Then it's about the ability to document that uh, inform- information that you've gathered and being resilient enough to cope with whatever happens during the investigation process, Mike Leam says, you get an awful lot of accusations thrown your way as an investigator, usually starting with how unfair you are, how unreasonable you are, how you haven't considered this piece of evidence or that piece of evidence, how you've looked at something in a biased way. Um, And so there's a lot of things that get thrown at your way, not just from those uh, involved in the investigation themselves, but you can have them thrown at you by trade union representatives, by solicitors, by barristers, in ferocious letters from the employees themselves and emails. And so sometimes the stuff coming at you is a bit of a barrage and you have to be pretty resilient to deal with it. So depending on the complexity, depending on the issues in, in hand, um, my view is training, training, training. You must be trained to do this job. Um, you must have the time. You must have the resources. Uh, you must be free to have nothing else on your plate when it comes to writing that report because if you don't if you've got a million other tasks to do a million other meetings to attend it's reflected in that report and that report is what is um going out there to the the employee or the employees um that report is what will you will be defending uh in the wrc or in any other third party fora, um, and fundamentally, it's going to come down to um, somebody else looking at absolutely everything you did from start to finish and looking at it and deciding whether it was fair or not, whether you had gone beyond the scope of the terms of reference, whether you were fair in your analysis, and whether you you came to the right findings of fact. and that's that is not for the faint-hearted.
1: Definitely a lot to think about and but luckily I suppose a lot that we can support with as well so do please reach out mm-hmm. to us if you do have any questions queries concerns or needs on any of this kind of stuff because as we said we're doing this quite a while now and as you can hear from Mary and Liam's advice uh, a lot of great insights there so a lot of great knowledge to to avail of so thank you Mary and Liam for a very very good discussion yet again. Uh, Thank you to everyone for listening. We'll catch you next week for the next installment of our podcast, which, as I say, is on the reviewing and reporting stage of a workplace investigation. It's a very important aspect, so don't forget to tune in for that. Uh, And as always, for HR Consultancy Services and Management You Can Trust, get in touch with us today at InsideHR.ie. Thank you, Mary, and thank you, Dean.
2: Thanks, Owen. Thanks,
1: Owen.
0: Thanks for joining us today on the HR Room Podcast the podcast series from Insight HR that helps you create the human resources systems and workplace culture that's right for your business. For show notes and bonus content, go to www.insighthr.ie forward slash podcast. That's www.insighthr.ie forward slash podcast. We'd love it if you subscribe, like, and share the show with any friends and colleagues who are looking for fresh ideas on how to create the ideal workplace for their business. And remember... If you need any HR support, get in touch with us at Insight HR. Whether it's conducting a complex workplace investigation, filling a gap by providing you with a virtual or an on-site HR resource, or providing advice via our HR support line, we'll help you resolve whatever human resources challenge your business is facing. Thanks, and see you soon.